Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can rebuild a motor, reboot your computer, even kickstart the old scooter. But what do you do when your own mojo is mutilated? That's where we step in. Welcome. I got my mojo. To the Mojo Radio Show. But it just won't work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the house. Welcome to the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. What do we do here? Well, if you're new to the show, what we do is we just find people who are interesting in any aspect of life and we talk to them and get their opinions, their tips, their tools, their views on what gives them their mojo in or out of work. And we just have a chat to them, steal, plagiarise, pinch all the good stuff, give it to you packaged up in one thing we call the Big Red Bus, the Mojo Radio Show that you can take away and uh, apply to your own world. Before we start the show, thank you, AP, the dulcet tones of Andrew Peters, sounding splendid as always. Thank you, Gary. Thank you very much. Kind words. He's been living it up in L.A., the last week and a half. See, that's what happens. You get your LinkedIn profile uh, happening and you're off to LA. That's City right. You two, could be the, you two could be the next AP of the world. <laughs> the sad thing is I know what he's doing over there and the chances are we will never see him again. No, that's right. Hey, I was thinking about your intro too. You know, I've just realised that we're probably the Encyclopedia Britannica of the mojo world. We just take all the information and, you know, we just put it out there for everybody. All in one place. Do you know, this is, this is a little, uh, we're going to take an off-ramp here, but I have been talking to audiences about this, Yeah. that a big trend that I'm seeing today with audiences, particularly younger generations coming through, is scepticism. And this goes back to the interview we did with Ivor Davies during Rocktober, where he said to his son he'd found a new news broadcasting app. And his son said, well, I need to know who the editor is before I take that on. I need to know where their information is. I need the, I need the data. I need the background. And he was saying he's become very sceptical. And I have to say that since Ivor said that, and he's one of our great rock heroes of all time, I've really been on this, I don't know, just kind of checking out. And I think scepticism is a big part of where we are with society. But I think back to when I was a, when I was a kid, and I'm going back a ways, if somebody said, mate, here's a fact... You had to go to the book cupboard and pull out the Encyclopedia Britannica and pour your way through it. And most most cases, they're out of date. Did they have books back then? Exactly. Oh, we all had them, but no one read them, right? <laughs> everyone had. Everyone paid the door-to-door salesman. This is how, oh, this yeah. how long back we're going. But but you didn't check the details out. You just went, yeah, right, I agree with you. Well, if your dad said, this is how it is, right. That's right. Nowadays, mate, it is seconds before someone's got their phone open and they're flicking through all these different sources. So... 
To me, it's why scepticism today is because people can check up on data. We are accountable. Hopefully we mm. get it right. I'm pretty sure we do. Well, hopefully no one will do a data check on what we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, now we have been heading down the business laneway for the last number of weeks on the Mojo Radio Show. Today we're going in a different direction. Anybody who heard last week's show, we spoke to Peter about the sales process, the customer service process, and then the second part of the show, we spoke to Andrew from Mojo Kombucha about kombucha, how it works, why we should be drinking it, what it's doing for our gut, and we just thought we might continue down that off-ramp, and we've got a guest on the line today from the States, and he is known as the Fermented Man, so we're going to get to him in just a second, so that's where we're headed today. Before we do that, Robert, we've had a bit of action, which is a French for action, on the Facebook front, have we? We have. The Mojo Radio Show. We're um, we're getting up there with the likes on the Facebook page. I, I hate to say, but I think we're getting popular. Yeah, I think you can't. I think you can't. You kombucha. Um, but I just want to say thank you to. There's some really cool names here. Vera Lucia Mayer. What a cool name. Kay Holder, an old friend of mine. When I say old, I mean old as in we've known each other for long, but she's a very young lady. I was going to say, mate, be careful what you say. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Hasty, Moyo Bubba. Just the coolest names, Douglas Williams, Stephanie Lay, James Weaver, Amy Seymour Borden. It's just wow, – and here's awesome. an old mate of ours, Philip Hesketh. Oh, he Phil. has uh, got in touch with us to say good day, hey. which is very nice of him. Love his Jack work. Jack Tion, Ashley Blair, and uh, Krista Rollins, who, of course, is Henry Rollins. Long lost relative. Uh, yeah. Relative. Uh, Henry's Absolutely. a big fan of the show. Oh, always. I'm so tired of him emailing me. Middle of the night. Boom, boom, email turns up and it's Henry. It's like, mate, come on. Henry Rollins, one of the great punk rockers of all time. He now is a master of the spoken word. Uh, I heard him recently on the Joe Rogan show and he was absolutely brilliant. So uh, good friend of ours. <laughs> good friend of ours. Well, there you go. There's your next mission, mate. Get him on. Let's talk yeah. to him. We call him the Rollinator, the Rollster. Good <laughs> on you, Henry. All right. So let's rock into it. The Mojo Radio Show. There is a lot to love. About our guest today, Robbo. Uh, if it's talking fermentation, it's got to be a good thing, right? Well, it's even better when he's fermenting beer. He is yeah, well, the I was gonna head say. brewer for a little microbrew called Kent Falls Brewing Company. How cool is nice. that? Nice. Did we get any samples for this one? Yeah, no. It's the first farmhouse brewery in the state of Connecticut. Now, he has, so he obviously likes his fermentation, and he, his name is Derek. Dillinger, and he set himself a challenge. He went for a whole year eating nothing but fermented food. Wow. He put his exploits into a book called The Fermented Man. And having delved into this topic uh, and looked at what Derek has been writing about, I contacted him because I I personally, um, this is going to be a very self-indulgent show for me, but I personally am very interested in the gut, the gut microbiome, fermentation and the things that we can do in our day-to-day to strengthen our gut because it has been shown there's now a lot of association between the gut, uh, inflammation, leaky gut, all these different things that are going on that are feeding into lots of the more well-known diseases that we face every day. So this topic 
is of great interest to me. I thought you would like it because we've been down that kombucha laneway and with Crohn's, the fermentation thing seems to be working quite well for you. It's working its little butt off, let me tell you. Absolutely. So that's why we got Derek on the line uh, and the fact he's a brewer. (laughs) Of beer. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, let's be honest here. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Ticks a lot of boxes. So, Derek, Absolutely. welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thanks for having me. Hey, you've got a, um, a fascinating backstory that I want to dig into today. But just, just to start us off, if somebody bumped into you in the street and said, hey, man, what do you do? How would you reply? Uh, I would say I'm a guy who's interested in fermentation. Um, stumbled, you know, stumbled, got lucky, um, to find a job as a head brewer, uh, and, uh, got lucky to be able to write a book on fermentation that, uh, took me down a weird path for sure. Uh, had me eat fermented food, uh, for an entire year to explore the world of fermentation that way, as I also got to uh, explore the world of brewing. Um, and just got to do some really, really interesting things with the last few years of my life. We're definitely going to get a, going to get onto the brewing thing today. But I just, how did how did this fermentation thing start for you? Like, at what point did you become so curious that you wanted to delve into it as opposed to just having an interest in it? Yeah, I know. I it's you know it's a weird thing, and certainly I took it much further than I think uh, any any normal person would, and that probably. Uh, I guess that's something about my personality for sure. I think I do have uh, an obsessive side to me. Uh, I mean, a must obviously to go, you know, to go to such lengths with it where, well, I guess when I get into a hobby, I, I, uh, I really get into it and uh, really want to immerse myself uh, and learn everything I can about it and explore it. Um, so I, I, I think I might've just needed a hobby, uh, you know, at the start of it, when I first got into uh, homebrewing beer and fermentation uh, I tried to, uh, learn how to play bass guitar and totally failed at that. And I was just kind of, uh, looking for a new, new hobby. And it turned out that I was better at fermentation than I was at, uh, at music. And it was just this really fascinating thing that culturally too was, uh, becoming a big thing at the time. I mean, the craft beer movement in the United States was really picking up when I got, uh, when I got into it myself in the, uh, you know, mid late, uh, first decade of two thousands, um, you know, craft beer had been big for a few years, but it was really at the point where it was starting to become kind of a mainstream thing. And people were starting to dig up these obscure old styles, uh, of sour beer and, you know, beer fermented with microbes uh, with uh, bacteria that's sour, that's, you know, out of the realm of what people were used to drinking. And that, you know, I got into that and that one thing led to another, um, got into making kombucha, got into making other, you know, sour, weird, funky things. And then all of a sudden you have this whole world open up to you and fermentation is incredibly diverse and incredibly multifaceted. So it, you, once you fall down the rabbit hole, it's almost kind of hard to stop. The backstory is you did a full 365 days of the year living on fermented foods only. And that led to the book and a lot of publicity you're getting now in the, in the, blogosphere. Um, what did a typical day look like for you in food? So we'll, we'll go through the journey of this, but I'm just curious, just to set this up for people, you've got a whole year, you wake up the morning, you go to bed at night and all you've eaten through the day is fermented foods. Now I'm sure people have a perception of what that means. What did it actually look like for you? Right. And I mean, it's, it's, 
interesting you mentioned the perception because that's certainly that that was part of the fun of doing it, is kind of you know in my head picturing what uh, you know what people might perceive that I was eating and and getting to play off of that and work against people's perceptions. I thought that was you know part of the fun of it where a lot of my day was was spent planning uh, on what I would eat next, on what I was going to eat the next few days. And that was the big change uh, and the big challenge was it, it just required so much more planning and effort and really thinking about what I was going to eat than, you know, than any normal diet. Than even I'd been a vegetarian for a few years before, um, and I, I, I wasn't during this year because there are a lot of fermented meats uh, that I wanted to consume. Uh, but any other specialized diet, I, I think, is doesn't you know, it requires a lot of planning, but usually there's kind of economies based, uh, you know, to based around vegetarians, based around vegans, but based around gluten-free where it's, you know, there, there are products available um, catering towards that diet. And with this, no one's doing the, the diet that I did. It's, it's, you know, it's just not a thing. It's an experiment that I was uh, <laughs> yes. performing. So, right. So there's some other foods out there and, and that was certainly the point, but not for someone who's living off of only fermented foods. So I did make a lot of effort to plan my meals out. Or I might just, you know, end up with uh, lunch where I had nothing to eat. Um, so a lot of my day was just kind of like planning for the meals the next day, um, and then fashioning the meals that day. Um, and you know, so I made as much of the food as I could. I bought what I could at the grocery store. Part of the point of the project was to show people, you know, here's all the fermented food that's out there. It's a huge part of the culinary world. It's a huge part of what we already eat. And you can buy a lot of it at the grocery store already, and you can make some of it at home too. And it's a you know it's a great hobby, but it doesn't even necessarily have to be a hobby. Um, so I would recreate things uh, that I was used to eating. I would I would recreate uh, say pizza, and I would make an all fermented pizza. And that was one uh, again with the perception thing where I, I kind of got got uh, you know it, it was funny. Uh, picturing what people would think uh, when when you describe a fermented pizza, because they're picturing you know a slice of pizza floating in a jar, uh, you know, in, in brine fermenting. Um, but pizza is almost all fermented already. It's bread and cheese, and you know you throw pepperoni on it. Pepperoni is fermented, uh, and all you really have to do to make a all fermented pizza is to ferment the uh, the red sauce. So all you're doing really is fermenting tomatoes. And vegetables are incredibly easy to ferment. Tomatoes are incredibly easy to ferment. You throw in some herbs and spices and you can make uh, fermented marinara sauce or just plain fermented tomatoes and have a really good, uh, unique, flavorful pizza that's just a little bit different from any pizza you've ever had before, but kind of opens up this whole new, uh, you know, flavor realm, this culinary approach that that no one's doing. So you can eat very normal things, uh, you know, even on a far extreme version of the diet like I was doing, but it has these little culinary twists twists that just make the food unique. So I've got two two bits out of that. Surely you had to make the pizza base to make it fermented. I mean, I can't imagine going into most stores, buying a base and then just throwing it down. So I guess my question is, how did how does one, how did you, how do we perceive fermentation? Like what is fermentation and how does fermentation then fit into a pizza base and cheese and what would necessitate fermented cheese and a base as opposed to our perception, which is it's junk takeaway food? Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, that gets to the base, to the the core of what fermentation is. 
which is really, uh, you know, that that was the root thing that I wanted to address with this book uh, is just how confused uh, the, the perception of fermentation is that people in general don't really understand it. Um, you might be able to picture, you know, booze, beer, wine. Um, but the, the core, the core foundation of what fermentation means just isn't really something that's understood in, in uh, you know, in most of our cultures today. Um, so almost all bread is, is fermented. Um, even, even cheap, crappy white bread is, is fermented, uh, usually for a couple hours with the quick rising yeast, but, uh, the action of yeast is fermentation. So anything that rises through yeast is fermentation. Um, and same with cheese, almost all cheese is fermented. It's just the, the process that is responsible for cheese. Um, so all but a few, you know, uh, enzymatic, um, quick cheeses, like the, most mozzarella isn't necessarily fermented though. It can be the traditional way. Um, most cheeses that are aged for more time than mozzarella are fermented. So, you know, to get a bread like substance like pizza crust, um, or, you know, any form of bread, cheese, you put anything, um, you know, involving those together and you already have a baseline of fermentation. Is it fair to say that fermented food is, let's say, a rudimentary version? The, the, the definition of a fermented food is it's alive and it carries bacteria which are living. Is that is that sort of the simple dumbed-down version of it, Derek? Yeah, more or less. I mean, uh, it doesn't have to be bacteria, uh, yeast, bacteria, mold even. Um, there's a lot of weird mold-based fermented foods out there. Uh, or not weird. I mean, you know, we consume a lot of, uh, you know, blue cheese, blue cheese dressing on our salads, uh, or chicken wings and, uh, blue cheese is a mold based fermentation. Although, you know, we get weirded out when there's mold growing on, on other things on even other types of cheese. If there's mold growing on it, we'll scrape it off. So we're a little selective with, you know, what we consider acceptable and what's gross. Uh, but mold can be responsible um, or bacteria. Um, it, it's a hard thing to define because you, you define fermentation and then you find some other food from some other culture, uh, that doesn't quite fit in that framework, but is considered fermented. And at a certain point, um, you're just kind of defining the, um, the activity of microbes, uh, digesting, you know, resources. And at that point, that's pretty much just life. You know, it's, it's microbes, uh, metabolically transforming the world around us. And that's pretty much the whole world around us because everything is covered in microbes and microbes are just, you know, living organisms. So at a certain point, you almost start to kind of circle back around on the definition and get lost because it is just such a huge, broad uh, thing. Well, that's what I'm kind of, I guess, surprised by because I've always thought of fermented foods being yogurt, kimchi, kefir, kombucha, sauerkraut. Uh, and I've got a guy listening to this now somewhere in the world who's going, mate, pizza is fermented. And he's just going, okay, fast food's fermented. I, I, everything's fermented. I'm, I've, <laughs> I've got gold here. I go to my wife and say, okay, I'm having two pizzas tonight because I need my fermented food. Um, it sounds right, – right. What, what let's go – let's flip it around. What doesn't count as fermented? Like what were the things that you found – you had to say no to? Well, sure. I mean, a whole lot of things that I couldn't eat. Um, you, and, and yeah, and not to, not to dig in deeper into my rabbit hole here, but I mean, again, part of the point was that anything could be fermented. Uh, if you, if you really wanted to put the work in, um, you could ferment just about any food in the world. 
Um, because again, that's, that's how uh, broad and powerful of a process this is. And granted to make a, a normal, you know, uh, cheese bacon cheeseburger that was all fermented would be a whole lot of work. It would require a lot of work, but um, it's possible. I mean, again, you can ferment just about anything and it's hard to draw a line because um, things can be fermented uh, more quickly where it's kind of a gray area and like, ah, this might not count as fermentation and things that are just obviously plainly fermented. They're fermented for a much greater period of time. Um, and so for my diet, I had to draw a line somewhere. Um, and with you know, meat is, is the one where it gets kind of weird where fermented meats, even, even just saying fermented meat, probably a lot of people are like, what, what in the world is that? You know, like that sounds terrifying. Um, it sounded terrifying to me before I understood, uh, what fermented meat is and realized that cured meats are, are generally all fermented prosciutto, uh, pepperoni, salami, you know, all these, all these gourmet meats that, that we eat fancy appetizer platters, you know, generally are fermented. Um, and then you pull the line back to see where it kind of starts and stops, um, because fermentation's, you know, part of salting, brining, curing process. Um, and so I kind of drew the line at, at corned beef, uh, which is, uh, basically like brined, uh, with salt, uh, for a couple days, um, and probably has some very mild fermentation, anything that's going to kind of fit and age for a little bit, probably has some kind of mild fermentation. Um, so you could theoretically do that with just about any food, meat or otherwise, obviously. Um, but yeah, so a cheese, you know, a cheeseburger, uh, the bacon on a bacon cheeseburger does involve some kind of, uh, you know, curing process, although it's not, not generally going to be fermentation. So there's all these other ways to preserve and cure foods out there. You know, we can salt them, we can dry them. Beef jerky would be, you know, is kind of another way to preserve and, uh, prepare beef that, you know, doesn't involve fermentation that it, in that case, it's, uh, dehydrating the meat to uh, such an extent that microbes can't, uh, can't uh, work on the meat anymore. They can't digest it uh, because it's so dry, or you can salt it to such an extent that microbes can't digest it. Um, so we have developed throughout, you know, throughout history, throughout our different cultures, all these different ways, ways to uh, preserve and prepare things. And fermentation is often a huge, you know, part of it, uh, but not always. Uh, over the, over the num- probably the last year or so, we've been, I guess, skirting this, topic, Derek, in that it just seems the next frontier that's going to make itself mainstream, it's certainly now, but it's going to be mainstream, is the gut, the microbiome in the gut, gut health, how it leads to symptomatically a lot of stuff that we are suffering from. Right. In doing this exercise, what have you found to be the real benefit of fermentation for your own gut? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the core of it is that it's the the real core concept is that it's replacing something that's been missing. Uh, fermentation's uh, been a part of our diets, been a part of our cultures all around the world. Basically, every culture since you know since we kind of settled down. Um, so, in the last couple decades, the last century, where we developed industrialized food systems and removed these things from our from our diets, from our cultures, we've been missing this you know, core culinary, um, component of how we eat that, that we evolved with that's been around for forever. Um, so in missing that, I think we're, you know, it, it definitely, it, it seems plain that our bodies were adapted to it. And when you take out some crucial thing that our bodies were adapted to, they're going to respond in some way. 
Um, and in this case, you know, not, not for the best. So we're really just kind of restoring, uh, things that we've been eating, uh, ways that we've been eating that went missing. And I think that's a, you know, a crucial part of it is that it's not, not some magic, you know, hippie cure all thing. It's really just a normal, uh, part of, you know, part of how humans eat that we, uh, forgot about and ignored very recently. So, you know, this isn't some fad or like new wave healing thing. Um, it's really just kind of, it's, it's normal, even though it doesn't seem normal now, it only doesn't seem normal because we've forgotten about it so recently. Um, and in my experience, it does, does kind of feel like it bounces you out. And, and I had a weird experience. Um, clearly I went to, to an, a greater extreme than probably anyone else would. Um, I went to such an extreme that it might not have been you know, necessarily the most healthy diet in the world because, uh, I could have also been eating fresh salads and, and fresh produce and other things that are obviously good for you. Um, so I, I certainly am not advocating that anyone else follow an all fermented diet with this. It was, you know, to prove some points, to learn some things, to, uh, to take an interesting journey and, and have an interesting story to write about. But I'm not saying that anyone else should eat only 100% fermented food. Um, so given that, you know, there were challenges involved. There were things that were you know, detrimental in how hard it was to get enough food to eat sometimes if I was traveling, if I was going out. And, you know, there are aspects of it which weren't ideal. Um, but even considering that, I actually felt really great throughout the year. Um, I didn't get sick at all during the year. And that's obviously not, you know, a scientific claim. One person um, having this experience, you know, it's it's anecdotal. And I'm certainly not trying to make any scientific claims with uh, just, just my experience, you know, um, all the, all these studies on the human microbiome, you're studying multiple people, you know, you have, uh, much more thorough methodology <laughs> than a dude who, uh, who did this and wrote a book. Um, he works at a brewery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I, I could make a case to get on Dr. Phil or something and play this stuff, but I, I really do just want to, you know, I just want to get people's interest and I want to inspire people to, to learn more about this. And that's why I did it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it definitely has changed the way I eat, uh, very dramatically. Um, and I noticed when I was eating on this diet, even on the challenging days when it was hard to get enough food because I was busy or because I was traveling. And I noticed throughout the year that I had a lot of energy that I felt good. Um, my, uh, blood pressure actually went down. Uh, despite the amount of salt you might think would be in fermented foods, it actually kind of negates that and uh, turns out to not be, you know, any more salt than say the average American who's eating a ton of fast food or restaurant food all the time is eating a ton of salt. So, uh, you know, in, in our diets, there's a lot of salt to begin with. Fermented food can have a lot of salt, um, but in my, my experience, uh, it actually, you know, negated that blood pressure went down and um, all around, I felt very good. Uh, these tend to be nutrient dense, uh, you know, energetic foods that deliver what you need without the kind of junk that you don't. Um, so you're getting a very efficient sort of food delivery system. And the fermentation helps with that too, because it's unlocking nutrients that aren't uh, available to you. Otherwise, the fermentation tends to just make foods uh, that your body is uh, easier to process for your body. They kind of break things down so that your body can extract the nutrients uh, that it needs easier. Um, and in some cases, fermentation creates nutrients that just weren't there to begin with. Um, so there's very efficient food delivery system. And I found that I was eating simpler and eating just kind of simpler food items without, you know, again, without a lot of the junk that 
just kind of normally slips into your diet one way or the other. So um, it wasn't certainly wasn't the easiest diet in the world, but I found it was very uh, very illuminating and very helpful in my kind of long term diet trends. What did you notice in terms of energy levels then and now, and what did you notice in terms of clarity of thought then and now? Has it changed <laughs> mentally how you can approach stuff and your energy levels through the day, Derek? Is that have you noticed that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, I expected to be kind of wiped out during this because. I wasn't always getting enough calories. Like I said, I, sometimes I was quite hungry. You know, I would have a, a smaller lunch than I was accustomed to eating in other years. Um, so I was really shocked at how much energy I actually did have. The, uh, I felt, it, it, and it was challenging. You know, it, I, 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 I go into this in the book and like, I, you know, I didn't want it to make it too personal, but it was a tough year. I mean, it was really challenging emotionally um, and just, you know, um, in, in what I was actually doing, but all around it was a difficult year. Um, and I was very stressed out. I was at one point working three or four different jobs at the same time, transitioning careers and going through some life changes. So it, it was, you know, outside of even the diet, just a really difficult year for me. Um, and the diet certainly didn't make it any easier. Uh, so considering that I, I expected to be, you know, just kind of bogged down with stress and I, I obviously question, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I going to such an extreme with this diet? This is crazy. I, I, I certainly question my sanity uh, repeatedly. So considering that, I, I, I felt less bogged down than I normally would, I think. Um, I felt, I never really, I never fully, you know, I never came close to uh, to abandoning what I was doing. The more the more it went along, the harder it was, but the, the sure I felt of the project, um, and the more energy I, I had and, you know, I felt good. I felt much better than I think I had any right to feel, especially later on in the year when I'd been doing this for a while and, uh, you know, kind of getting bogged down in the repetition of the diet. Um, and certainly since then, uh, you know, I've been very busy in my life in the couple of years since this, uh, diet ended, I did it 2014. So it's been uh, a couple of years. Um, and it's definitely changed a lot about how I eat and I've been very, very busy, very stressed with, uh, the job I have now. Um, but it's definitely made an impact, uh, you know, again, eating simpler foods, eating more nutrient dense, you know, foods that there's just nothing wasted with them. Um, and sometimes now that I'm not on the diet, sure. Like I don't always eat as well as I could, uh, especially on days when I'm busy, but I always feel better when I get back to back closer to the diet. To the extent where sometimes they almost think, you know what, today I should just eat like I'm on that diet again because it really, you know, it really did seem to have a positive impact. Um, and I'm always kind of being nudged to get back closer to it uh, to the extent at which, you know, I, I don't feel crazy or, or uh, overstrapped by having to make so much sauerkraut and think too much about my sandwiches. But I definitely try to hew closer to that diet than not. You said earlier in the show, and I know you've talked about this online, that you almost at some point became obsessed about prepping your food and knowing the next two or three days were taken care of to the point where you said it really got in the way of your social life and you actually went through a breakup. And I'm just curious because they say that all emotions are controlled by the gut. When you look back over that period, that would have been a trying period with working and relationships and mentally the pressure you put on yourself with this exercise. 
Do you think that cleaning up your gut and having the right microbiome in your gut, looking back now, do you think it really did help you cope with that time? I mean, I think uh, probably yes and no, because <laughs> certainly there's there's uh, kind of an element of it where it messes with your head when you go on, uh, you, you undergo a major life change um, right in the middle of when you're doing a very extreme project. And that, that does certainly kind of make you question your sanity, you know, um, you know, in this case, a breakup and a career change, you're like, okay, well, maybe I'm just a crazy person. And that's why I think I should eat fermented foods and nothing but fermented foods for a year. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it does. It, I, like I said, it, I didn't feel nearly the level of stress that I would have expected to. It felt like it kind of helped me balance out a bit. Um, and they do say that, you know, that your gut plays a major role in your mood. Um, and I can definitely see that. I mean, it definitely, you know, it, it's, it's not like a, an acute thing where you eat some sauerkraut and then, or, you know, some fermented spinach like Popeye or something. And all of a sudden there's a, you know, an immediate transformation, but, uh, both the rhythm of the project, the rhythm of kind of having these rituals to perform with fermentation and having things to occupy, occupy your day. And also just the, yeah, that kind of internal well-being that the fermented food provides, um, I think in the long run made things easier uh, and always makes things easier at any point in your life um, than if you're eating, you know, certainly than if you're eating terribly, if you're eating junk food. You just feel better overall, I think. If there's somebody listening to the show now, Derek, and they go, all right, I buy into this. I know I want to start introducing fermented food. I've got a handle on why it's valuable. I can see it's going to work for me in the long run. If there were two or three foods or types of fermentation that somebody could easily do in their home that would have a, make a difference to their gut, their microbiome, their mood and all this sort of stuff, what would you suggest? Like what are your go-tos now where you say after doing it for a whole year, you've, tr- you've done and tried lots What's what's you what do you think are the most powerful the the simplistic the go tos in and in you, maybe in your world the non negotiables what would they be Yeah well I mean definitely the easiest place to start is uh, with fermented veggies um, so there's I mean there's a couple different ways you can go well there's almost you know endless amount of ways you can go with fermented veggies pretty much any any vegetable can be fermented um, vegetables already have the bacteria that ferments them living on their skin. So there's this crazy, amazing uh, look into the world of fermentation where they're they're like a self-starting fire. You don't really have to do anything. All you have to do is just kind of set it up and it takes off on its own. So it's a great way to start out with fermenting um, because it doesn't involve any advanced equipment or advanced techniques. All you really need is a jar, um, some kind of, you know, a lid for the jar, the vegetables themselves, uh, salt and water. So really, really simple. I mean, pretty much things you already have around your house, uh, plus whatever vegetable that you decide to ferment. But some of the easiest are, I mean, I actually suggest starting with tomatoes. So if you do want to try out that fermented pizza, here's a great way to, to kind of get the rest of the ingredients going. Um, tomatoes are, are so easy. If you get you know little cherry tomatoes, um, and you want to see how fermentation works and almost not have to do anything, you can just drop, uh, drop like, uh, cherry tomatoes, uh, into a, a mason jar, uh, or whatever kind of jar you have that works filled up with water. Um, 
add a, a tablespoon of salt, uh, sea salt or kosher salt, um, and put the lid on not quite tight. You want to have the lid screwed on most of the way, but just loose enough that CO2 can escape. Um, and the vegetables will just start fermenting themselves within the next couple of days. They'll ferment for about a week or so. You can pop it in the fridge and you'll just have a zesty, slightly tart, slightly, really? you know, a little funky, slightly fermented tomatoes. Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly <sighs> easy. You don't have to do a whole lot. Um, it's easier than making a salad. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost insulting how easy it is because you <laughs> witness this, you know, amazing natural process. <laughs> you see how removed you are from it and you're like, well, crap, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't do anything. I mean, I, I don't even feel responsible <laughs> for this. Uh, it just does it itself. But, uh, so from there, um, uh, let's see. I mean, kombucha is great. Um, kombucha, you get a little more advanced. Um, with kombucha, you're, you're taking, uh, tea. You want to make, uh, usually I like a mix of the green and black tea. Uh, you make tea like you normally would cool it down to room temperature. So you don't scald the culture, uh, add sugar to it. And you're adding the culture, which you can usually, uh, sometimes grow up from uh, a commercial bottle of kombucha, but you can usually buy, uh, kombucha cultures online or from some kind of vendor, uh, or find a friend who makes kombucha, find a company who makes kombucha and is willing to give you the culture. Um, they're called mothers or scobies. Um, and all you're doing is really making sugar tea, adding the culture to it, uh, in a jar uncovered with, uh, some kind of, some covering to keep out insects. Um, and again, it, it pretty much just makes itself and you get to witness this, uh, amazing process. Um, and then if you're, you know, if you're feeling like getting into something a little more advanced, uh, beer brewing is obviously very, very popular. Um, there's millions and millions of home brewers making beer around the world now. So there's a ton of resources out there. There's a, a huge culture built up around this. Um, and you, you do have to get a little more equipment to make beer. You do have to buy uh, some kind of recipe kit from a home brewing shop. If you want to do a similar process that's slightly uh, easier, cider is actually a lot easier to make than beer. Um, so with cider, all you really need to do is buy juice, um, again, buy uh, a packet of yeast to ferment it, um, which you can also get at a home brewing shop or online. Um, even even bread yeast from grocery stores can work in a pinch. It might be a little less predictable, but uh, it's still yeast. Um, and all you have to do is is ferment the cider in uh, in some kind of vessel, carboy bucket with an airlock on it. Um, and again, you're just kind of witnessing this process. And um, there's obviously a little more to it that I'm you know making there out to be, but not a whole lot. It's it's very easy. You can read some instructions online. Uh, you know, get the right equipment and do this in half an hour, an hour, um, and get a feel for this process and, and kind of build up the courage to take on a little more advanced things like beer. If you were to do it again, so it's been a few years since you took it on, Derek, if you were to do it again, would you change much about your experiment? Like having now gone through it, unless you say you've done the experiment and you've got result X, if you wanted to improve your results or what was there anything you would change about it? Yeah, I mean, so it, it would certainly take a lot to uh, convince me to do do it again for a full year. Um, <laughs> I think a full year is probably, you know, have, having done it once, I'm not sure that you need to do it for a year again. Um, I would be curious to see it done, and I would probably volunteer for this myself. Um, see it done for a month 
with uh, you know with an actual microbiome study. And these were there. There are certain things coming out around the time when I started this. Unfortunately, nothing that I got was able to get in touch with um, when I started the project myself. But you know, there's enough research going into the microbiome now where I'd be curious to see you know, some real science, scientific research, uh, looking at someone who changes their diet the way that I did, that's going to the extreme, eating all fermented food, someone who's eating just some fermented food, you know, and introducing a certain amount of fermented food into the regular diet, someone who hasn't changed their diet at all, someone who's eating, you know, mostly fast food, whatever, something where there's a comparison to see how the uh, microbiome reacts to this. And at what point, uh, at what point uh, does the added fermented food, you know, lose an effect? Obviously, you probably don't need to eat only fermented food to gain some kind of benefit from it. Um, so, you know, at what point do those changes occur, and how dramatic are the changes? How how much does this affect the microbiome? How much does this affect uh, the gut? And then, what other you know more scientific results can you tease out of that? So. That's certainly something I would I would love to see. Um, I think you could certainly do it with a, a month worth of research rather than a year, but I think there's uh, something to be learned from that for sure. Anecdotally, um, I mean, neither of us are doctors or play doctors on the interwebs, so <laughs> this is purely anecdotally from your own because you've you've written a book about it, and I suspect in that time you have had thousands of conversations with people who've shared stuff with you. If someone was to start, say, here today, I think the tomato thing, in fact, I just picked some tomatoes last night from my greenhouse. Within an hour, they're going to be uh, fermenting. Uh, somebody wants to get a scoby and start their kombucha. They want to try some sauerkraut, which is also very, very easy to make. If they start into this process, how soon would you, in your mind as an assumption, how long does it take till someone starts to feel a difference in their gut? I think it's only a matter of days. Um, and in the research that's out there, anytime someone changes their diet dramatically, uh, it's shocking how fast you see uh, see a change. I mean, the gut reacts really quickly to things. If you're switching from a carnivorous diet to a vegetarian diet, the guts rea- gut reacts within you know, a week or so. Um, so I think this isn't something that you have to have a ton of patience, uh, you know, oh, a year from now, um, I'll see a change or whatever. And, and again, not to say that you're going to notice uh, a magical, dramatic change right away. You know, this isn't a magical thing. It's it's subtle. Um, right. So, you know, we're not claiming magical res- results here, but the gut reacts very quickly. So you know, any change in your diet can be beneficial almost immediately, uh, which makes it all the more you know, important, all, all the more reason to change your diet at any time, because it's not something you have to, it's easier than losing weight. You know, it's not something you're going to have to wait months and months uh, to say, okay, what's happening. It's just something you should do. You know, it's something uh, that's important for the body with your next meal. So you introduce fermented foods um, and, and you're already eating fermented foods. I, I should reiterate that point is Part of the reason I did this is fermented foods are already part of our diet, but live culture foods, the fermented foods that um, contain living microbes, uh, are not always a huge part of our diet. We eat things like bread, but bread's not live culture. You know, it's baked in the oven. Uh, the microbes responsible for making the bread rise for the fermentation um, are baked off in the oven, and not all cheese is live culture. So a lot of, a lot of fermented foods are pasteurized. You might not get that microbial benefit. 
uh, the probiotics, as they're called. And probiotic pills are a huge, huge market now, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, but yeah, the the effects are, are very quick. I mean, microbes have a short lifestyle. They reproduce very quickly. Um, they're things that live on a much smaller time scale than we do. So uh, they're going to respond uh, very, very quickly as well. Was there a particular food that surprised you, Derek, that you've now sort of included into your culinary calendar? <laughs> like, was there something you you didn't know about your experimented as part of your fermentation that you, it surprised you, you liked it, and now it's something that you have as part of your daily routine or weekly routine? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly a lot of things that surprised me. There are some, you know, uh, less dramatic ones that just recipes I picked up. Like I, I discovered that I really like uh, carrots, parsnips, and and ginger fermented together. You get this kind of spicy, um, tangy uh, dish. I, I actually, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of carrots to be honest. Uh, raw, I, I just never have eaten many carrots, and uh, I found that I, I really like this preparation of them and. Uh, so I've been able to incorporate carrots into my diet where I just kind of neglected them before. Um, and one of the weirder ones is, uh, red beets. Um, you, you ferment them and make kind of a tonic and beets have this, you know, very earthy flavor, uh, very, uh, love or hate. A lot of people are not a huge fan of beets. Um, but you create this tonic with them. People call it beet kvass, uh, Eastern European, uh, tradition kind of thing. Um, and it's this just briny, salty, tangy, earthy tonic drink that you, uh, you know, drink in the morning. And it's, I, I find it's delicious and I find it, it feels great. It's great for your gut health. Um, so that's something that I've worked into my diet on a more regular basis. Um, I'm trying to think of what else and uh, been making kombucha for a couple of years. And I, I think it's great to just have some kind of, uh, some kind of fermented drink, something refreshing, something you can drink early in the day other than coffee. And most of the evening, you know, I'll reach for a beer. Uh, so something that that's not going to affect you like coffee or beer does something that's not full of sugar, like soda, uh, or a lot of other drinks that you got at the store. Um, so it's just good to have some of these, uh, these options of fermented drinks that are you know versatile throughout the day that can be refreshing, uh, or healthy tonics. And they, they kind of, cover the spectrum of, of what you're looking for throughout the day. A couple of quick things before I let you go, as I'm very conscious of your time. Uh, if I am making carrot, parsnip, and ginger, I like that tonic, so I'm going to have a crack at that. Uh, I get a mason's jar, lid not too mm. tight. I put in 
I guess, distilled water. I add in my salt. Is there a, and I'm getting into the granulate level here, mate, is there a an amount of water that I need in there in comparison to vegetables to get the, let's call it concentration, to get the real fermentation? Does it matter? Right. Like is there a, do I fill it to the top and then put as many veggies in as I can without, how do I do, what's, what's, the, what's the mechanism? That's a great question, yeah, and that, that is super important. Um, it's, so it's probably helpful to not think of it as a, as say a concentration. So this is a little different from baking where it's, it's not the exact ratio that matters. It's not like if you screw up the ratio, it's going to ruin the recipe. You're following more uh, principles and guidelines um, based on just these rules for how fermentation works. So fermentation is an anaerobic process, which means it, it doesn't want oxygen. Uh, the bacteria, that we want to perform the fermentation, they don't want oxygen in their environment. And if there is oxygen, it might grow mold. It might just get funky. It might get a little weird. It's not going to turn out uh, necessarily how you want. So what the water does, what the the water and salt, you're creating a salt brine to cover the vegetables, and that creates that anaerobic environment. There's no oxygen uh, in the jar if it's full of water because it's full of water, not oxygen. Um, so really your goal, is, so understanding that principle, um, you can intuit then, well, your goal is really not to create a, a particular ratio between the vegetables and water. It's really just to cover the vegetables. So there's no oxygen interacting with the vegetables and therefore no oxygen interacting with the fermentation. So really all you're trying to do is, uh, all you want to do is put the vegetables in the jar first um, and then cover them with water. Um, you put the vegetables in, you can put the salt in so it mixes with the water, um, and then you just want to fill it up. So generally I'll fill it up to just a little below uh, the top of the jar, and that should cover the vegetables. Sometimes they'll want to float up to the surface. Sometimes they'll want to bob out a little bit. You can just kind of press them down even during the fermentation itself. Um, fermentation's uh, a pretty hearty process, and it's okay to baby it a bit. Um, especially with vegetables. Vegetables are very durable um, and you can open up the jar during fermentation and you're not going to ruin anything. So you can actually open it up during fermentation and just kind of poke them back down. You can use your fingers or a clean fork. It doesn't really matter as long as you're clean, sanitary about it. Um, just poke them to back down under the brine. And again, all you're doing is just trying to keep everything below the brine as much as possible uh, because mold can't grow underwater. So mold can only grow if it's on the top of the vegetable floating above the water. If you're more or less dunking everything under the water, there's no place for mold to grow and you're going to have a successful fermentation most likely. And do I eat the brine and the veggies? Is, is the whole thing now my, uh, you said it's like a spicy, funky type product I can put onto stuff. Do I eat the whole lot or do I then drain it out and just eat the veggies? Well, it's, it's kind of up to you. Um, I mean, the veggies are, you know, like any kind of pickled product um, with the beets and that beet kvass I mentioned with the carrot, parsnip, and ginger. Usually, you know, I, I, I mean, it actually depends with the beet kvass. Usually I'll drink the, the brine as a tonic, but with the carrots and parsnips, usually I'll eat the vegetables, but not drink the brine. Uh, but you could, Ideally, I guess drink drink the brine and eat the vegetables is probably the best way to go about it. Go about it because they'll both be uh, probiotic and full of microbes, and you'll get get the health benefits of both. But it's you know it's up to you. It's up to your taste. Um, how much you want to drink carroty 
salty water, you know. Cartman from South Park gave you some advice which you took. Can you share, can you share that advice with us? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, South Park's uh, a real inspiration for me uh, throughout my life, but it, <laughs> I, think, I think they meant it as a joke. I'm not sure they were entirely uh, into the same research that I was at the time, but there was an episode where uh, one thing led to another and they realized they had to flip the food pyramid and the joke at the end was that everyone was just eating butter like a popsicle, which wasn't far off from some of the things I got into uh, in my year where with all the cheese I was eating, all the cultured butter, butter can be uh, fermented and you just have to look for cultured butter at the grocery store when you're buying it. Um, so I was eating all these you know, fatty uh, fermented dairy products, cheese and butter, not, not really viewed as health foods uh, in our culture anymore. Um, but it turns out that they're much better for you than than people realize, and uh, a lot of the the kind of mindset that they're you know that they're just going to destroy your your body and that they're inherently unhealthy foods. A lot of it is based on faulty research from the '60s that just kind of got perpetuated. Um, part of the, the industrialization of food, where we tried to replace butter with margarine, which is just the synthetic. Uh, food that turned out to be terrible for you and uh, butter kind of got pushed out as a scapegoat um, positioned as, as this terrible food. And really, again, it's been something that we were, butter was, was basically viewed as a, uh, as a, an entire food group um, in previous centuries, people ate tons and tons more butter than they eat today. Whereas I'm sure if you, you know, ask the average American, say, do we eat more butter today than people in the 1800s did? They would think, of course, we eat more butter today. You know, we're less healthy. Um, but that's that's not actually the case. So, uh, you know, this this diet definitely caused me to reevaluate uh, many things other than just fermented food and the, the kind of scapegoating of saturated fat. And um, this probably, you know, I probably sound to many people like a conspiratorial tinfoil hat person ranting about this. But there's been a lot of research about this in the in the last couple of years. And it's very, very interesting to look at the actual scientific papers coming out about this, that, you know, it's, it's slowly coming into the mainstream that we're reevaluating how fat works and how our body works um, in, in response to it, good fats versus bad fats, saturated fat, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I, so I tried to, with this book, not turn it into a whole, Hey, let's reevaluate, reevaluate how we think about fat, but to at least kind of allude to it and mention it and, you know, mentioned the fermentation touches on uh, all parts of the food system, all parts of what we eat. And obviously with food and diet, there's a million different rabbit holes you can go down. And it's worth always questioning, you know, what we're eating and how we can improve it. And it's a, it's a difficult science to do studies on nutrition. Uh, it's really difficult to just kind of round up people and lock them in a room and make sure they're eating what they say they're eating and study every aspect of their lives. There's uh, tons of variables. Uh, so it's a difficult thing to study and we're learning all the time and, you know, we're going to continue to learn, uh, all the time and well into the future. It's probably not a science that will ever be completely understood. No, I, I agree with that. I remember hearing a, a guy on a podcast, uh, some time back and he said that we should, and he was referring to business, but I think it's the same thing for us. We should, he said, we should always be in beta. Like we should never just settle and go, that's it. We should always be 
testing and looking for the next thing to strive for our business or our social or our marketing or our bodies or our energy levels. And so that's why I was kind of curious when I saw your stuff, because to me, I really admire the fact that you, you did this experiment to try it. And I really like the way you've written about it. And I love the photography and the way you present what you've done. Just one final thing, Derek, and this is just anecdotal from somebody I met. I'd just be interested in your perspective on this. I met a girl some time back and uh, she said she had this real puffiness under her eyes and she just noticed it the last couple of days. And she said she didn't know what it was and she hadn't been out in the sun or anything else. She wasn't allergic to anything she didn't think. And to me immediately, I said, well, let's find out what the area around the eyes relates to, like in kind of, I guess, Chinese medicine or whatever. And it turns out that it was the gut. So then I said to her, well, what have you changed in the last, say, couple of weeks or a month? And it turns out that she was drinking like a a, a big beer bottle, like a Grolsch bottle or, a, I don't know, like a 330 mil bottle type thing of kefir every night. So instead of having a wine or whatever, she was necking a bottle of kefir, but every night. And as soon as she backed off it, her eye puffiness and the dark rings and stuff went away and she felt better. She said her system operated better. And to this day, she still believes that it was just too much of the kefir or kombucha and it had this effect. Did you notice any side effects? Did you notice anything you went through or anecdotally, are there any cautions you would throw to people who go too far with this? Right. And that's, you know, I mean, it's certainly a, a slightly ironic uh, for me to be answering that because if anyone's gone too far with fermentation, it's <laughs> probably me <laughs> above anyone in the world. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess to my, to my credit, at least the difficult part of the, the diet was balancing, you know, while only eating fermented foods, I still tried to balance what I was eating uh, within the world of fermentation to eat a, a lot of different kinds of foods so that I wasn't eating, you know, literally just cheese or just kefir, just dairy products. Um, because fermentation covers the entire spectrum of food. I could eat every kind of food. Um, so hopefully I was avoiding those problems. Um, and, I mean, I think, you know, there's a little bit of probably common sense there where, yeah, it's probably probably not good to eat too much of any one thing. You know, it's not good to drink too much coffee, not drink to, uh, not good to drink too much beer. Um, probably, probably not good to eat too much cheese, although I've definitely skirted that line quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone's body reacts differently and going back to you know the last thing with nutrition, that's what makes nutrition difficult to study. Uh, what makes nutrition difficult to, to recommend to different people it what it's what makes you know uh, fad diets appealing, but usually not work universally because everyone's body is different. Uh, there's no diet that's going to work well for every one person. So you kind of have to figure it out for yourself to a certain extent. Um, that's why it's worth trying different things and you know practicing moderation, practicing simplicity, and you know studying what you eat and being aware of what you eat. Because yeah, I mean it. Kefir might not work for everyone, and it might be incredibly healthy and beneficial to many other people. I mean, kefir is generally regarded as a, a very, very healthy food and uh, associated with long life, uh, many cultures throughout the world. But 
even a good thing, you know, you can have too much of it. So for some people, you might not want to drink that much kefir tonight. It sounds like for her, it just wasn't wasn't good for her body because everyone's body is just going to treat things differently. Um, that's why the microbiome research is so interesting because the very, very complex environment that's composed of millions of different microbes and you know, you multiply those millions of different microbes X number of ways in every different person in the world. And it's, you know, the complexity is endless. So diet's always going to be something that we have to experiment and try to improve. And like you said, always, always test, always try new things, always, you know, try to look further into things and understand them better. And that's a, a journey each of us has to kind of go on and on for sure. Derek, I don't think there's been a show that we've done the last three, four years where I've been as excited to fin- not finish because I'm not enjoying it, excited to finish to go and grab my <laughs> jars and start fermenting stuff, mate. This is, um, it's given me a whole new world to explore because I've been down, I've had Kiefer going now for four or five years. I do kombucha. I've had that going for a couple of years. I do sauerkraut and stuff. But this is this has just given me a whole new world of stuff to experiment with. And also living on a property, you know, we go through seasonal stuff and you end up with a whole bunch of seasonal product that you just can't consume in a day. But now knowing all the possibilities of what I can do and blend and really how easy it is and how it's good for the family, I, um, I'm stoked, mate. This has been an, an awesome, uh, awesome chat. Um, for people wanting to know more about you, what you do, uh, and if, if for the, the fermented man, and also for you as a brewmaster at the Kent Falls Brewing Company, where where should we send people, mate? Where's the best place to find you? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of scattered across the internet. Um, you can follow me. So I work for Kent Falls Brewing Company. Um, it's a, bre- a farmhouse brewery in, in uh, Connecticut, in the United States. Um, so you can look up Kent, Kent Falls, um, back when I was homebrewing, uh, my homebrewing blog and my kind of homebrew name was bear flavored, uh, bear is in the animal B E A R and flavored spelled the American way, uh, without the U just, um, or yeah, F L A V O R E D. Um, so bear flavored is my homebrewing blog, which I sadly don't, uh, update much anymore um i'm all on uh <laughs> i'm a little busy with with the professional brewing unfortunately i wish i updated it more than i did and it bothers me on a on a weekly basis but it is what it is um so you can uh google bear flavored uh that's my twitter my blog name um i'm also bear flavored at gmail.com if you have any questions about fermentation um and on instagram i'm dellinger Derek. uh Derek spelled d-e-r-e-k uh, so yeah, scattered across the internet, uh, with, uh, occasionally updated, uh, internet platforms, but always happy <laughs> to answer questions about fermentation. Um, and the book gets great reviews. It's just on Amazon, I suspect, mate, or, or where all good books are sold, as they say. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. If you, uh, if you Google the Fermenter Man, uh, it's on Amazon, uh, you know, major book retailers, all that good stuff. We'll put a bunch of, uh, links in the show notes, make it easy for people to find you, mate. But, um, Understanding a lot's going on and going to get back to uh, back to your brewing, but thank you so much. I uh, and I really appreciate you getting back to me. I, I read your story on Mind Body Green, which I will put a link to in the show notes as well. 
And it just fascinated me. And we've wanted to talk to somebody about fermenting and particularly the gut, the microbiome, the impact it has, as you mentioned, mood, energy levels, clarity of thought, emotions. So um, this has been great. And I've got to say, very, very useful, practical. Um, and I just love the fact you experimented with it. Now you can talk and, uh, and bring people on this journey of fermented food. It's cool, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. It was a lot of fun. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. Listen to Mojo Radio Show, or I'll be coming to see you. I think you were right at the beginning of the show. That ticks two massive boxes, beer and gut health. <laughs> I really like that. And we recorded that show last week, <laughs> and since then I can honestly say I have gone, I've done the tomatoes, as promised. I put jalapenos in, and I'm doing all the stuff that he talked about. Um, and what, what, you know, one thing that is very interesting with this is that my tomatoes after four or five days did get a crusty, mouldy lid on them. Right. And, of course, what happens, you look at that and go, oh, God, they're off. But then the positive is that it's actually growing and it is fermenting and it's live versus there have been studies where they have got a... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's just say a burger house cheeseburger. Uh, without naming any names. Uh, hello to our friends at Corona and Tim Tams. Um, <laughs> and they have left it for 5, 10, 15 years, gone back and looked at it, and it hasn't changed yeah, in any right. way because that food is dead, dead, gone, dead. That That's a dog won't hunt. <laughs> and I think this fermented stuff is interesting and we look at it, which is why the great smelly cheeses are growing and the great salamis and so on that are fermenting are growing. So I have found it good. The stuff is all right. I haven't tried it yet. It's only been uh, six days since we recorded the interview. Um, but I, I, and I think the thing that I am finding, I went to the farmer's markets yesterday because we had a market stall there with our beef, and I was walking around looking at all the garden-grown veggies that I could get to ferment. So it changes your thinking about, well, what are the possibilities what can I get a hold of to make this stuff with? So I thought Derek was great. Yeah, very good. And I've been well and truly following his advice, you know, like blue cheese and beer on the weekend. I mean, that's that's right, isn't it? Well, they're both fermented. Yeah, so I've got to be doing something good, don't I? <laughs> now I've got a uh, book review to finish this up. The Mojo Pages. You've been doing a bit of reading? This is, I've got to say, one of the most inspirational books that I have read in many years. Goldilocks and the Three Bears? No, I've progressed. <laughs> It's a New York Times bestseller uh, on Elon Musk by Ashley Vance. And the cover of the book says, How the Billionaire CEO of SpaceX and Tesla 
is shaping our future. From the minute you start this book, you your jaw hits the ground with this guy's journey, the vision he has, the dreams he has, how big his thinking is, how many hurdles, barriers, dickheads he's had to deal with. Mm. Yet he is changing space travel. He has created a whole new category in automobile travel. He is changing how we look at homes with uh, battery, solar power, storing power. The guy literally knows no boundaries, but it has been a very, very rocky road. This is an excellent book. If you're looking for a book for somebody who is progressive into their desire to be better, to get more, be more, grab this book. It's by Ashley Vance. I'll just read you a piece off the back. It said, it's a brilliant penetrating examination of the roller coaster life of Silicon Valley's most audacious businessman sending shockwaves throughout business and industry. Mostly because he's creating whole new categories in areas where people said, you can't do it, it can't be done. Mm. The London Review of Books, I think, said it best when they said, Musk is a visionary genius, the man most likely to solve our addiction to carbon, save the planet from global warming. Wow. <laughs> save, save the planet from global warming and set us on a course for our interplanetary destiny. I love this book. I got so much out of it. It made me feel as though our dreams are so minute compared to what we're capable of. Yeah. It has not been an easy journey for this guy. Who said all that about him? That was written by the London Review of Books. Wow, but there are lovely that's quotes a big from rap. Financial Times and, the, and so on. It's just, I've, I've got to say, this guy is really something else. And if you were a fan of Steve Jobs and how he did stuff, you'll love this book. Now, it also gives you a glimpse into his personal life, which is pretty much a shambles because he is 24-7 on his dreams of business and serving the planet, serving the world, changing the world. So it does give you a good sort of idea of the light and shade if you have a desire to dream as big as he dreams. But I just think you take all this stuff, you put it into your own world and work out which bits you like, which bits you don't like. But, um, man, I tell you, we talk about dreams, breaking things down to smaller pieces, creating a new category. Uh, you know, the stuff he talks about, for example, el- electric cars, Tesla. And he said, why do electric cars have to look dorky and, like, boxy? So he went and scored a guy who I think was a designer for Maserati and said, come and work for me. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But make my electric cars look like a Maserati. That was the level of thinking. And then when you take your car to be serviced at Tesla, they send a truck to pick up your car to take it back to be serviced because they don't want from where you live back to Tesla to count up those kilometers on your car. So they truck it back. It's just the stuff that he is doing and how he's done it just sets a whole new standard. So uh, there you go. Good book review. Uh, I guess it's on Amazon everywhere. You get good books. Worth a read. Shout it, shout it.
So I was thinking about this week's shout-out and I was inspired by my old man. He grew up on a farm and a lot of his mates are farmers. You live on a farm and we all know the trials and tribulations of farmers, especially here in Australia, so I reckon they're worth our time this week. Yeah, it's a worthy shout-out. I, I spent some time with a farmer yesterday and he uh, had a big fire, 300-hectare fire, on his property just last week and... and all the RFS boys spent a couple of days putting it out and he lost 600 head of sheep. And they were Merino sheep and many of them were top-rated breeding stock. Mm. And he lost them all. And, uh, you know, and it, was, it, it was heartbreaking for him to have to get the diggers in to dig these massive holes to put... And you, you just, the farmer's the guy who pays full retail for everything but gets screwed by the supermarkets and everybody else and they get yeah. to sell it wholesale and get screwed. Yeah yet they pay full retail. It's just, and when, when a disaster goes through, like whether it be a flood or the fires that went through Chile or droughts that all farmers face, it can take years to get back on your feet again. And I just don't think people appreciate, how, you know, how the, the life, and the farmers appreciate it, that just, just what you do, just get up in the morning, the sun comes up, you get after it, the sun goes down, you put up with mud to nature. I think they're more annoyed with the government. <laughs> Yes. Than they are with Mother Nature, because that's just a bunch of dicks. But yeah. um but yeah, look, I think it's a worthy uh, a worthy shout out for the guys out there every day uh, tending defences, fixing troughs, putting up with uh, forty degree heat and the next day it's five degrees pouring and flooding. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, to play us out, I put a lot of thought into this, but it didn't take much. Um, I think the perfect song would have to be John Cougar's Rain on the Scarecrow, right? Oh, great song. We're out. Scarecrow on a wooden cross, blackbird in the barn. 400 empty acres that used to be my farm. Grew up like my daddy did, my grandpa cleared his land. When I was five, I walked the fence while grandpa held my hand. Rain on the scarecrow, blood on the plow. This land for the nation, this land made me proud. Son, I'm just sorry, there's no legacy for you now. Rain on the scarecrow. Last summer, weren't enough to pay the loan. Couldn't buy the seed to plant this spring, and the farm was banged for clothes. Call my old friend Shipman up to auction off the land. He said, John, it's just my job, and I hope you understand. They calling it your job, oh, horse, sure don't make it right. If you want me to, I'll say a prayer for your soul tonight. And grandma's on the front porch with a Bible in her hand. Sometimes I hear her singing, take me to the promised land. Take away man's dignity He can't work his fields and cows But blood on the scarecrow Blood on the plow Blood on the scarecrow Planted in the cold house yard With 97 families Who lost 97 farms I think about my grandpa My neighbors and my name It's a nice to feel like dying Like 
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.